You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello, thank you for listening to the Nick Luck Daily podcast. Charlotte Greenway Infinite today, Monday the 2nd of October. Plenty of racing to reflect on from the last few days and I'll be doing that in the company of Lydia Hislop while we'll also be joined by trainer Ed Crisford who had a great weekend with three stakes winners. Harry Charlton is also along to discuss taking over the licence fully from his father Roger from next year and Amy Murphy comments on the late abandonment of Foss Lass's fixture yesterday afternoon. Lydia, a lot of smart performances over the weekend, but we have to start with the sparkling display from Ace Impact in yesterday's Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. He crossed the line a length and three quarters in front of Westover under Christian Demuro for trainer Jean-Claude Rouget, and it was hard not to be impressed, wasn't it? I thought it was a classy performance. I mean, for the moment we had the, the first race, the opening Jean-Luc Lagardère, and there was a uh, track record for that race broken, so the fastest time that that race has been running. You knew that the going was very different to what it was officially described as, at, at good to soft. Um, fast ground was always going to suit Ace Impact. It had that smart turn of foot. The question mark was about whether he would stay the mile and a half, which he, wa- he was able to do in what appeared to be uh, a race that was uh, steadily run, but then maybe got going quite a, 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 at an early stage went into the main straight. He was able to run right past the rest of them. And he is exciting going into the race if there was a horse whose summit of ability you really could not yet mark. It was a ace impact. And we're still in that situation, I think, because um, hopefully we're going to see more from him. The indication seemed to be that he he might stay in training. Certainly, um, Jean-Claude Rouget, his trainer, didn't dismiss that idea, uh, but he was dismissing the idea of going to America for the Breeders' Cup. <laughs> and if he was yours, he's won a Group 1 over 10 furlongs, he's won a Group 1 over 12, now he's unbeaten. What would you do? I think we know the answer, but just... Well, I'd keep him in training. <laughs> I'd, I'd, keep him in, I'd keep him in training and I would, I would campaign him excitingly. Um, but then uh, I'm, I'm the kind of person for whom this is only ever going to be theoretical, the idea of owning <laughs> an, an arc winner. And I realised that all sorts of commercial realities start rushing in um, when you're actually faced with the reality of that. I mean, the one more general point I would make is, and I, I, I probably sound a bit like a, a broken record, but the... The excitement about uh, about the arc uh, as a the sort of centerpiece European race these days of the of middle distances is at stark odds with how horses that win over a mile and a half are treated once they retire to stud. And the the short termism of this is so apparent to me. Um, I'm really pleased that Ace Impact, having won a Prix de Jockey Club. Um, the first horse uh, to do the double of the Prix de Jockey Club and the Arc since the distance of the Prix de Jockey Club was shortened from a mile and a half to, t- to an extended 10 furlongs. I'm really pleased he's managed to step up and, and do that double. I think that's really important for uh, French racing. I think it's really important for middle distance racing. But you know, we, this race will not remain the best in Europe if the sport continues to value 12 furlong winners so so little 
and to unthinkingly remove another keystone in, in its foundations. I think the drop of the Prix de Jocolo down to 10.5 furlongs has not been a positive for the middle distance horse in Europe. And if we were to follow with, by shortening the Irish Derby, I'd say that it would be another keystone out of the foundations of what Europe does best. And so I would just point out the stark contrast between the excitement that is generated by the arc and the question of will Ace Impact stay, which he has answered, is in stark contrast with our behaviour when it actually comes to the commercial realities of breeding. And, and that is unsustainable for Europe if it wants to keep the arc the exciting focus for the world that it is currently. And Lydia Westover, he's run another mighty race to finish second. He's now proving himself as an ultra consistent group one performer. Um, he's, you know, he'll, he'll win one of these one day, won't he? I hope so. I hope so, because, you know, he deserves to, uh, you know, second... Second in, in, sorry, third in a derby, probably unfortunate not to, not to be second. Second in a King George, beaten narrowly, and now second in an arc, quite comfortably put, swept to one side by Ace Impact. But of the horses that were more prominently positioned and got racing early in the straight, he did by far the best of them, you would note. Uh, I know that Rafe Beckett's keen to go to America with him, thinks that the horse will thrive in, in those circumstances. So, yeah, I, I, it would be great if Westover could manage to, to, uh, to win uh, one of these uh, sort of worldwide focused mile and a half races because he has very much earned his profile in them and you know he really has come of age this season of course the big absentee and it now looks a bit daft really doesn't it is equinox um the fact that we that uh, you know as i understand it reportedly because of they were expecting maybe some cut of the ground you know the problem with uh, with french going descriptions and i'm you know i acknowledge i'm in the comfort of my glass house here because quite often british going descriptions are uh, erroneous uh, but quite often if you compare the french official going description with the times of those races you'll see a discrepancy which often errs on the soft side um and really equinox should have been there shouldn't he he should have been, and and through seven seas, she ran a mighty race for Japan. Um, you know, only beaten three lengths in the end, and I think they'd have fancied Equinox to beat her by three lengths. So yeah, and um, well, maybe maybe Ace Impact. You never know; he might meet Equinox next year if he stays in training, which would be incredibly exciting. That would be great, and let's hope that does happen because so often things like that, you know, don't happen. Ernesto bounced back as well. That was a, a really big performance from him in third, and I thought the continuous um, more than repaid the decision mm. to um, supplement him for the arc with a really um, solid fifth in a race that probably wasn't uh, run to suit him ideally. Baybridge pulled too hard, saw too much daylight, and the ground was quicker than it would have been ideal for him, and I think that the quick ground probably didn't suit Huckham either, um, who probably is more effective with a, with a little bit more more cut in the ground. But it, it was a it was a tremendous a tremendous race, and uh, I I do hope that we do see a clash between Ace Impact and Equinox. But um, yeah, I think I think it was a miss by connections of Equinox, if I if I'm honest, because you know what? Why wouldn't you set, keep the horse there? And if you really don't like the ground on the day, take him out. Exactly. And well, it wasn't to be for Frankie de Tory with his last ride at Longchamp as Kinross finished half a length second. Maxime Guillon did come across Frankie on Kalina, but Frankie's appeal, I think, was in hope as much as anything, don't you? Yeah, I think it was worth the appeal, personally, um, because there was a sustained carry across and then and then a check at a, at a crucial moment. And it appeared from um, race day pictures that there was was some 
potentially from the from a look that he was aware that there was something going on behind him when as he was allowing his horse to, to drift across but yes you know these days i mean france have had the same rules as most of the rest of the world for some time now so would with an uninterrupted worm would kinross is it more likely than not that kinross would have finished in front um of uh, the winner um i think the answer to that was that that was no um i, I think kalina um, did manage to win that on merit. And yeah, it was not to be, but I mean, Kinross has, has raced well so many times um, this season. Hopefully we'll, we'll see him again and he will carry on his uh, his campaign. Um, he's a tremendous horse and, uh, you know, he turns up, he runs his race every time, which he did again um, on Sunday, but not at his absolute very best, but still a very admirable performance in Group 1 circumstances. And I think probably this podcast's favourite horse or most talked about horse, Highfield Princess, she was back in the winner's enclosure with her fourth group one. It shows, you know, John Quinn's just been rewarded for his aggressiveness and sort of bravery, hasn't he? I think so. She's been uh, very aggressively campaigned, very um, competitively campaigned. And I salute the John Quinn and his team for doing that. I think she did really, really well to win here. Uh, Jason Hart had to be at her from quite an early stage because the pace towards the favoured uh, low numbers on against the rail was strong and she was out in 14. She had to stay on terms with those um, and come through late, having been really driven along from quite an early stage. She's overcome the, the draw bias to win here. Uh, Perdica, in store one, almost got there, only wore down in the closing stages. There were a few hard luck stories in behind, um, notably, notably Equilateral, who was stuck on that favoured rail and never once at any stage managed to get a run. But those horses that went hard towards the inside, Perdica and most of the best of them, helped, I think, by by uh, the draw. But Highfield Princess was so good, she was able to overcome store 14 and win. It also sounds like the Breeders' Cup or Hong Kong could still be on the cards for her, so it'll be interesting to see where she goes next. And just looking at the two-year-olds from the weekend, which one caught your eye the most over in France? Um, I think Opera Singer was really good in the Marcel Boussac. I think she was advantaged by the ride that Ryan Mottmore gave her gave her in those circumstances. I've seen that she's um, been, I think she might be favourite now for the Oaks. I've had some question marks about about whether that will be her trip. 10 furlongs, yeah, I can see that. A mile and a half, I'm not quite so sure. But um, she certainly was was good in that in that race. It was good to see Rosalian bouncing back in the Jean-Luc Lagardère uh, after pulling too hard and probably being unsuited by the ground in the Champagne States at Doncaster the time before. Uh, quick circumstances clearly suit him. He's a son of Blue Point, so um, the, Richard Hannon, his trainer, is intent on the 2000 Guinness, and I suppose there will be a question mark whether he will be as, uh, or rather more effective, because he's going to need to be more effective, in that final extra furlong for the for the 2000 Guinness. So, um, yeah, two two really worthy winners of the, of the first two races. We should, I suppose, mention Blue, Blue, Blue Rose Sen as well, mm. who has very much bounced back to win the Opera. It was good to see um, her win for Chris, Christopher Head and Aurelian Lemaitre. Uh, the jockey, of course, also rode Cecil Road to win the Royalia for William Haggis on the preceding day. Um, Blue Rose said who we saw have an absolute nightmare trip under Lemaitre in the Nassau and then probably didn't stay last time out. It was She'd won on this race last year, on this day last year, the Marcel Boussac. She was carrying all before her to, to a point. So it was good to see her get her reputation uh, back on track. And afterwards, Christopher Head said that he and Aurelian are learning together. Um, and I'm sure they'll go on to uh, better things together as well. 
While Simon and Ed Crisford trained a Group 2 winner at Longchamp this weekend, that wasn't the highlight. For them, that came at Newmarket in the Group 1 Middle Park Stakes with Van Deek landing his second Group 1. And Ed Crisford joins me on the line now. Ed, did he surprise even you with how easily he did it on Saturday? But he was uh, he was great. Um, he, he, he's I suppose he did. I mean, we were we were pretty confident going in that he, he would run sort of up to his morning form. Um, but the ground was a little bit of a concern. But you know, he really showed his turn of foot, and you know, once he went through that gap, he he, he that electric turn of foot kicked in, and it was a, a very very good performance. And uh, no, it was nice to see him. You know, he's a proper proper you know two year old and with a big future. And of course, it was the first time James Doyle had been aboard taking over for, from Andrea Zaney. What did James make of him? Yeah, well, James had ridden him at home a couple of times. We got him in to ride him a couple of bits of work. He's such a relaxed character. Um, Andrea, he called Andrea in the morning of the race and Andrea said one bit of advice, just don't let him fall asleep going to the start because he, he will start tripping up on the way to the start. So... He's just such a relaxed character, which makes all the difference. I mean, for a two-year-old sort of six furlong horse, it's staggering, really. But James loved him. You know, he's got a high cruising speed, and he said he's sort of push button. When, when he when he when he when he asked him to go, he was just yeah, brilliant. And he he hit the line really hard on Saturday over that six furlongs. Is there a chance we could see him step up to seven in the Dewhurst? Well, I think we're just going to see how he is this week into early next week no decisions yet there is a possibility um you know as you said he does he he was hitting the line strong and in the pre-morning he it looked like that last furlong was his best furlong and, and he was only just sort of getting going so you know we always thought he would say seven but you know we we he's 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 got what he did show in the middle park on saturday was he's just got a lot of speed and you know we just got to, you know, see how he is this week and, you know, basically make a decision on how the horse is and, and if we're um, if we're happy with him. And if we're, if we're as happy, you know, next week as we were this week or last week going into the middle part, then I, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about it. But there's, there's no decision yet. And as you say, he's a horse with a huge amount of speed. But if you had to say now, looking ahead to next season, do you see him more as a as a Guineas horse or a sort of Commonwealth Cup horse? I see him more as a Commonwealth Cup horse myself. You know, he has got the pedigree. You know, he's got the pedigree to suggest he's a um, sprinter, but he, he, he looks physically like a sort of more miler. Um, but you know, with the, the the way he races and the and the turn of foot he's got, you know, it just it's all pointing to sort of more six furlong um, for next year. I, we always thought, as I said earlier, that he he would he would stay seven. So it, it it is intriguing and it would be interesting. And you know, I'm sure at some stage we we we've got to find out. But it's um, you know, he that speed, you know, that raw speed that he's got, you know, it not many horses can can have a turn of foot like that and you know that it's that's the difference in these sprint races and you had an, another nice two-year-old winner with carla's way in the group two rockfell stakes that just looked a very straightforward victory uh ridden out to win by two and a quarter lengths what did james have to say when he came back on her well he was really happy i mean we've always liked the filly 
it hasn't sort of always gone right for her. Um, we did a wind off on her after Ascot. Um, and she sort of had the summer off and then we ran her back in the prestige and it, and it was, the ground was just soft that day. And, uh, she ran a, a super race second to Darnation who went on to win the May Hill. So the form was there, but back on, on this sort of quicker ground, um, and you know, a little bit fitter, she, she was brilliant. I mean, she quickened off a fast pace, which, you know, was not, not many can do that. Um, and she's a, a filly with a hopefully a big future. And she's got an entry in the Phillies mile. Is that a likely destination for her? Well, you know, I think at this stage it might just catch her out that a straight mile at Newmarket, and that's what James sort of felt. You know, at the moment we're sort of more pointing towards um, Breeders' Cup juvenile turf. Um, which a two-turn mile at Santa Anita, quick ground, would just suit her down to the ground. And physically, I haven't seen her in the flesh, but we sort of watched the race on the TV. Is she quite a big filly? She looks like a big striding filly. Is she one you'd expect to go on again next year? Yeah, 100%. She's a, She's got a lot of scope, a lot of size to her. Nice, big, strong filly. And, and uh, yeah, she'll definitely go on, go on next year for sure. You mentioned international targets for her. Another nice winner for you this weekend was Pokerface. Um, he's now won a listed race, a Group 3 and a Group 2 on his last three starts. I just think the last time we spoke at the beginning of the season, he you nominated him as your horse to watch. He won in France on Saturday. The mile looks his trip. Can we see him abroad or is there anything even in the UK for him for the rest of the season? Yeah, well, he's done super well this year. It, um, you know, the second half of this season, as you said, he's just really come alive and he's come up through the ranks in the stakes races. And, you know, the way he won at Longshore on Saturday, he he, he, he put the race to bed very quickly and showed a, a, a turn of foot, which I, we actually hadn't really seen before. Um, but, you know, he's an improving older horse. There's not actually much here. He's not in any of the champion stakes races. You'd have to supplement. Um, so we'd have to talk to the owner about that. There is a race in Rome that's worth uh, quite a lot of money. But it, he, you know, he's a horse that you can definitely travel, but he's got to have the right conditions. You know, he doesn't want it too quick. I mean, he got away with it. Well, he looked very good on it uh, on Saturday, but the ground was, you know, they were saying was just on the slow side. You just wouldn't want it too quick. So you couldn't really go to somewhere like America for the Breeze Cup this year. But, you know, he, there would be plenty of options for him, you know, next year. So if, 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 if I'm sure he'll run again, one more run, be put away for the season and um, he'll be a lovely horse next year. Well, Ed, thanks so much for your time this morning. And I'm sure you're probably off to, to Tat shortly to look at some horses, are you? Uh, literally in about 10 minutes up to hack through book one, which is, is great. And the sales starts tomorrow. So, yeah, no, exciting times. Lydia, we just listened to Ed Crisford on Van Deek there. There's a chance we could well see him in the Dewhurst and that would be incredibly exciting, especially if Aidan O'Brien sends over City of Troy for that race too. Were you impressed by him? I was impressed by him. The question mark going into the race was whether he would handle the much quicker ground because all of his wins to this point had come with some cut in the ground. He travelled really well, handled it really well and settled it very decisively. In the immediate aftermath, there were quotes for 
the 2000 Guineas and the Commonwealth Cup going round. I, I cannot see this horse as a Guineas horse. I don't think the Crisfords do either. I can understand them wanting to try seven furlongs. That's a, that's a different thing. But if we're talking about next year, then I think he's a, a Commonwealth Cup candidate rather than anything else. It'd be great if he did turn up in the Dewhurst. It's possible that the runner-up task force could go there as well. And he could be the kind of horse who steps up to be a Guineas-type contender um, as a three-year-old. He looks like the kind of horse who would do better than a three-year-old. He's still got quite a bit of an experience. I thought he took a huge step forward mentally when finishing second to Van Dijk. Yes, he was brushed aside, but I think there's quite a lot to come from him uh, physically, mentally, uh, and I think he will do better uh, as a three-year-old. So he'll be interesting to see what that son of Frankel and special duty, of course, the dual Guinness winner promoted by the stewards on both occasions, uh, see, see what he can do because he is beautifully bred and bred to thrive next season over a mile. Um, just looking at the Phillies race at Chibi Park Stakes, disappointing that Relief Rally wasn't in the lineup, but it was won in the end by Albany winner Porter Fortuna, who now looks set for the Breeders' Cup. It didn't look a particularly strong renewal to begin with, and I'm not sure the result makes me think otherwise. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Unfortunately, I think she's um, redoubtable, Porter Fortuna. I think if you if you look at her form. It's very strong. You've mentioned already the Royal Ascot win, but she was up against the Colts and brushed aside by Bucanero Fuerte in the Phoenix Stakes. She then ran probably not at an ideal trip over seven furlongs in the Moyglare uh, the time before. And uh, here, she, I think the fast ground again really suited her. Coming back to that kind of quick surface was very much in her favour, so you can understand heading over to America. It was a first win for Donico O'Brien in the Chiefly Park, a fifth group one win in total, his second in the UK, and he, of course, won this race as a rider for his dad with Fairyland back in, in 2018. Um, and um, Sheen Murphy was talking afterwards about how when he and uh, Donica used to be riding out for Aiden in their very early days and dreaming that, you know, that they were going to be great jockeys and they, you know, that's what they were doing together. They had both gone on to do that. And I think this first winner for riding for um, Donica as a trainer for Asheen was a, was a very important one. So, yeah, a, a redoubtable performance, I think, from Porto Fortuna. If there's a horse that might do better in that race as a three-year-old, I still think it's probably Cherry Blossom, who finished fourth. She's got the frame. Um, whether fast ground is really her bag, uh, um, I, I doubt. But um, of, of the horses that might do better next year um, compared with this, then maybe it might be her. And it was, it was a race that, that there were three horses that raced towards the... Um, stand side and really had no chance as a result of that. A soprano was one of them, and the speedy she's quality another. So those are a, a couple of horses that that maybe can't their form their defeats here can't be taken literally. Okay, and there was also a nice winner of the Royal Lodge. I thought in Ghost Rider, he looks a real horse for the future. He does. He's got the kind of frame he'll do better um, as a three-year-old. Um, Clive Cox and Richard Kingscott both suggesting that he'll do better over a little bit further. I, I'm, I wasn't quite so sure. I mean, maybe he'll get 10, but I, I don't see him as a sort of, you know, mile and a half type horse. But he did really well to win this on just his third start. Uh, they finished in a little bit of a clump, but nonetheless, there's um, plenty of, of promise from Ghost Rider. And he's a, a good looking horse and the kind of horse that will do better at three. Well, yesterday, Roger Charlton announced on Luck on Sunday that from next season, his son, Harry, will be the sole name on the trainer's licence. And Harry joins me now. Harry, your father's had an incredible career with many, many highs since he began training in 1990. 
But for you, which moment really stands out? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting when you're, you're in the family of a trainer, you, um, I'm sure lots of, um, families of trainers would say this, but you're, you, you're very kind of, you're, you're very keen for the yard to do well because it, it, it's your, it's your family's existence. So there are sort of lots of moments that, um, stand out. Um, I, I can't say age five, but I particularly remember the derby i remember watching it um but uh i don't think i probably realized the importance of it but actually you get races like cityscape winning in dubai or um horses winning cambridges when you're having a bad season you know things like that um stand out more than any one particular horse because it, it sort of matters for you, the yard and the family uh, at important times as it were and yeah, you mentioned your father's derby winner there. The incredible fact I learned yesterday watching the show was that he won the English and French derby in his first year training. Um, remarkable achievement, and I'm sure more than any other trainer would even dream of. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, I'd be lying if I said that uh, seemed possible for me to <laughs> follow that act. Uh, and I, I know he actually thought he should have won the Irish derby as well. Uh, he was second in the Irish derby with Deploy. And the only horse that beat him was Salsabil, who'd been supplemented after winning the Oaks. So had Salsabil not run the Irish Derby, he would have won all three, which would have been uh, a little bit mad. And as you say, it's a pretty high bar to reach in your first season. But if you're looking at it now, what would be your aims for next year? Well, I, yeah, I guess it's a little bit different because I've I've been at home since 2012, I think, um, and, and on the license for the last uh, you know last couple of years. So it, it, it doesn't feel like it's such a sort of drastic switch um, from for, for what it might be for some people, sort of taking on a license. Um, so you know, as ever, the yard will continue as normal and same staff, same horses. And um, we've just got to keep building um, and try and achieve what, you know, dads have done in the past. And uh, yeah, what's realistic, you know, you want to win stakes races and uh, you, you want to find a, a good horse is, uh, is the main thing and, and hope the horses stay sound and healthy and, and win races. You mentioned that you've, you've worked alongside each other now for a few years. Uh, does that mean taking over, you, you're keen to keep things the same or is there still sort of a pressure that you want to put your own stamp on the yard and the routine and the way everything works? Yeah, I think probably actually that's been happening for the last 10 years. Um, you, you know, just just in any any business where someone new returns into it, there's, you, you're making tweaks daily and I think especially in um training horses there's, there's so many variables to uh to tweak so i think there won't be some drastic overhaul um you know i, I remember talking to luca kamani about um you know working for dad of going to work for dad a few years ago and he kind of said he said you know he's a good trainer why would you why would you want to change too much and you know you you you're you've the system has worked at Beckhampton for 200 years. We still use the same gallops in the same ways, and there'll obviously be some modernizations, but you're not thinking, God, we've been doing it wrong for 200 years at Beckhampton. Um, so I, I don't think anything too drastic, but we'll, uh, I guess there's always um, a bit more energy um, when, you're, when you're a bit, when there's youth on your side. 
And on Friday, time lock, she stamped her class on the Group 2 Princess Royal Stakes at Newmarket. Bar her run at Goodwood this season on really bad ground. She looks like she's improved with each run. Uh, I know it was mentioned afterwards that she could be set for the Phillies and Mares on Champions Day. Could she provide you with a first Group 1 winner? And together, it would be the dream ending, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be nice. Um, yeah, it's um, she. She actually had been all year. We kind of thought she was better than she'd been showing, and I think possibly through a combination of running on rapid ground twice at Haydock and um, bottomless ground at Goodwood, that we actually hadn't seen the best of her. Um, and that sort of galloping track that you get at Newmarket um, brought out the best in her. But yes, um, she's entered in that race, and uh, it seems the obvious um, next step. Um, to try and get some boot on black type for her before she becomes a mayor uh, for Jubmont. Uh, and obviously, yeah, it would be a dream come true for everyone if she, she was able to do that. Well, Harry, thanks so much for your time this morning. And I will let you get back to uh, looking at some of those book one horses. Thanks, Charlotte. So slightly the end of an era, Lydia, as Roger Charlton takes his name off the licence. He's had a wonderful career and um, it, it appears that quite a lot of these joint trainer forces of father and son are just beginning to hand over, having done a few years. Yeah, it's a sort of handing over of the baton. We've seen it with Mark and, and Charlie Johnston, of course, John and Fady. Gosden still hold the, the, the training licence jointly, as do uh, Martin and Freddie Mead, Paul and Oliver Cole. And, and until this announcement, Roger and Harry Charlton. Um, it, it does feel like um, an end of an era with, with, with Roger Charlton, certainly from my perspective. And I know he's not going anywhere and he'll still be a, a pivotal part of the yard at, at Beckhampton, obviously. But um, he is his career um, sort of as he started hitting the heights it was times with when I really seriously started getting into flat racing I got into jump racing a little bit earlier maybe but I do remember very keenly you know quest for fame's derby win uh, back in in 1990 um, and then also following what he was able to do with the likes of Taunt Rose um, Sanglamore as well. If we actually if we go back to that Quest for Fame year, because he had you know such a strong hand on, on that occasion, uh, he, he trained one of my favourite horses, Thistlebird, to win a Irish Pretty Polly, and of course uh, more recently Al Kazim had a, a fantastic season back in in 2013 as well. So um, uh, Roger Charlton is, a, is is someone who I really enjoy interviewing to say that he is a pessimist would be an understatement um and i always enjoyed that kind of um pessimistic humor that he he has and he always brings to interviews and his son harry is clearly you know one of those people that you can see instantly is very switched on understands the program book understands how racing works and he's the the kind of successor where you think you know a bit like charlie johnson well you know yeah that's that's in safe hands the legacy is, is going to carry on from father to son there yeah and as harry said it's you know, the the changes have really been sort of implemented over the last 10 years. So there's nothing drastic going to happen just because mm. he becomes the sole licence holder. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, you know, why clearly his his father will remain around and will be a key person with whom he'll discuss things and go, go to for advice because, you know, all of that experience is invaluable to making decisions. There was a bit of controversy at Foss Last Racecourse yesterday over the aban- late abandonment of one of their fixtures. What went on there, Lydia, and what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't there, um, but I know that the official British Horse Racing Authority report, report says that an inspection was held as a result of concern over continual rain 
leading to areas of the track becoming waterlogged. Uh, there were some riders present, Finley Marsh, Holly Doyle, Liam Keneary, and some trainers, Mark Lockmain and also a representative of Bernard Llewellyn. Clerk of the course, Di Jones was there and uh, the general manager. Um, and as having considered the evidence, the stewards ordered racing to be abandoned due to the waterlogged track and the forecast of further rain. Now, uh, Callum Shepherd, uh, quoted in uh, Mark, Michael Robson's piece in the Racing Post, is quite critical. He calls it uh, farcical. He says that uh, Finley Marsh, who's his, one of his fellow riders, got to the track before him and sent him a video showing the state of the course. There were holes filled with water, Shepherd alleged. Um, he said he saw the state of the course myself when I got there at about 1.30. Um, but the official explanation that there was a far greater amount of rain that fell in a short period of time than was forecast is not does not necessarily contradict the evidence that Finley Marsh and um, Callum Shepherd have, uh, uh, apparently seem to have. If there was a lot of rain in a short period of time, uh, and that did only come in the immediate uh, immediately prior to the start of racing. Then you know that is uh, that that is potentially a, a justifiable and unavoidable reason for uh, calling the, the the meeting off. Um, it's very difficult to judge from from this distance, but at you know at the moment the the reports from the the, the people who are critical of of Foslas and the fact that the meeting went ahead and Foslas's explanation, their evidence is not mutually exclusive. It it it, it does sort of chime in with each other. Of course, Foslas does have a bit of um, history in this area. Back in January uh, 2021, they abandoned uh, 10 minutes prior to the intended first race due to uh, frozen parts of the track. And on that occasion, they got a lot of criticism for not going ahead from jockeys and traders who thought that the racing line was raceable. So um, sometimes you just can't win with these things. And not being there myself, I can't you know, have a, have a definitive view on it. But I see no reason to question the official um, line on, on what happened in that it was just a lot of rain in a short space of time and there's nothing that could be done. And as I said, I don't think that Callum Shepherd's and Finley Marsh's evidence on the face of it necessarily contradicts that. Yeah, and then it's just, sadly, it's a risk that owners and trainers have to take, I understand it's an incredibly expensive hobby as it is, but I think that's life, isn't it? You, the course can't compensate because of the weather. Well, the, and the other problem, of course, with, with Force Lass is that it's such a long way. I mean, mm. you know, even when you're close to it, it's still a long way. Having <laughs> <laughs> been there several times myself, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, I've been in the car for four hours, surely I must be near. Um, and I wasn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a, a, a long journey to, to undertake from various parts, parts of the country and expenses are involved with that. But, you know, sometimes... Um, circumstances uh, collude to make things unavoidable and until I see any evidence to the contrary that's, that must be the provisional conclusion that I come to Amy Murphy was one of the trainers who was supposed to have runners at Foss last yesterday and tweeted yesterday afternoon her disappointment over the way the late abandonment had been handled so I put a call into her a short while ago to find out exactly what had angered her well, I think, you know, it was probably inevitable that they were going to be in trouble a lot earlier than what they announced it had to be. Um, I mean, my Trevor Head girl walked it mid-morning, Sunday morning, and said there's already water in places there shouldn't be water. So, you know, if, it's, this is, if this rain holds up and the water doesn't soak in, we're not going to be running. So, you know, if she could be making that call middle of the morning, uh, why is the clock of the course allowing jockeys, trainers, 
um, stable staff and horses to continue travelling to the races. If you know, if if, if we're all travelling to the races under the illusion that um, we may be in trouble, then fine, that's our risk to take. It's the same as, and trust me, I've been plenty of abandoned races through the winter um, on the national hunt side of things, and 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 sadly, sometimes it is just the way things take their course, and there's absolutely nothing anybody can do to prevent it. But when you you've got standing water on the track middle of the morning how how how, how uh, there's you know more rain coming how are we leaving it till a pony racers van to see that obviously very visibly you're not going to be running there was splashing water up on the ponies <laughs> so really really it's it's about communication here and at least giving you some prior yeah, warning exactly. to say this is a position that we're in right now yeah and yeah absolutely because I guess for you, as you said, I think your horses were there the day before. In terms of compensating the owners, I guess it is the risk that you take to take a horse racing. And, um, you know, the weather forecast is, isn't always right. No, exactly. But my forecast was telling me we were going to get rain all morning. Um, so I don't know what forecast they were looking at, but they weren't, they weren't seeing that. You know, the, it, wasn't, it wasn't unexpected rain. That rain was in the forecast. Not only people like me that were already there, okay, fine. But like jockeys that could have could have not had to travel. You know, who's paying? It's, it's hard enough being a jockey as it is, let alone mm. trying to try, trying to then go racing on what what could have been your one Sunday off probably in the last five months to to get there to turn it back around and come home because that's literally what they did. Trainer Amy Murphy there, and Lydia is still with me. Lydia, before you go, could we grab a tip off you, please? Um, I'm going to the last race at Newcastle this evening, so the 8.30, which is a, a mile handicap, and I'm going with Royal Prospect, who is having his first start for Susan Corbett. Um, this is a horse that is a three-time winner at Newcastle. He's on a career-low mark. He has run quite promisingly recently. He was hampered uh, three runs ago over this course and distance when going well, um, and last time he was beaten favourite, but still ran respectably enough. He's down another two pounds, first start for a new yard, and the race doesn't look quite as strong as the ones that he's, the two that I've cited there that he's run well in. So I'm going with Royal Prospect in the 8.30 at Newcastle this evening. Well, my thanks to Lydia and thanks to all my guests today. Nick will be back in the hot seat tomorrow. Thank you very much for listening. That was episode 842. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.